Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And today we have with us Mark Brooks, who is the senior programmer for XCF. Is that good? Is that a good way of describing you? XCF, SAS, Displex, sure. All right. So can you start by explaining what XCF is? So XCF is one of the components of the ZOS operating system. And our job with XCF is to provide what I would call basic Sysplex services, the programming services that allow applications to do interesting things in a Sysplex, basically run in a cluster of ZOS images. Um, so there's things like, you know, identification of who you belong to, who your peers are, information about how their status is. It provides – most people use it for is for uh, communication purposes. Um, so they can talk to their peers or wherever they might live in the Sysplex and XCF provides that level of services. Wow, there's there's a lot to unpack with that one statement. <laughs> so, well, first of all, what does XCF stand for? <clears throat> I have an idea. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Uh, it's the, the XCF, the subcomponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, historically, is for the cross-system coupling facility, <sighs> enabling. <laughs> Enabling one to do services across systems. Okay. When you say things like services, I mean, it's kind of a a loaded word these days, right? Because in in the cloud world, everything is a service. So what do you mean when you talk about services here? So really what I'm talking about is, you know, you've got – applications, middleware, stuff that does the business um, running inside of a collection, a cluster of ZOS images. And when I say XCF services, I'm really talking about um, programming interfaces for those software above the ZOS, you know, up in the stack to allow them to do their job within a Sysplex environment. Um, If you think of going from like a single system environment to a multi-system environment, you know, you may have individual instances of your application running on different systems in the Sysplex. Presumably, they would need to coordinate with each other, perhaps, um, and be able to cooperate. In order to do accomplish that cooperation, they need to know about the existence of their peers. So there are what are called group services that allow the application to understand. You know, I'm a mem- you know they do basically say I'm a member of a particular group, and the application can then join that group, which means they're now allowed to use other XCF services, typically the signaling services. But as part of joining that group, their peers will be notified that they've come into existence. Um, If a particular system went down or the application goes down, XCF can notify those peers that the instance that you thought was alive is now dead. And presumably they would take some sort of recovery action for that perhaps. So it allows for more of an active type of record keeping and communication than just, I can't talk to this thing anymore. Right. You can, right. With the XCF services, you could then, you know, potentially, you know, invoke queries to understand the status of it. Um, You know, you can actually, you know, sign up with XCF to have XCF monitor the existence or the status of your application. Not so many people really do that. Care about the signaling stuff. But... (laughs) 
Um, but in, but status-wise, um, you know, you, you can cooperate with XCF to have XCF, for example, monitor storage. And if we see it changing, that's intended to mean, I mean, they've got to define this, but it's intended to mean that the application is alive and well and making progress. And if we see that that status is not being updated, then we can drive an, ex an exit and ask them, you know, hey, we're not seeing any updates. Is that normal? You know, is it something going wrong? And presumably they would write some code to say, okay, there's just nothing going on. That's why you're not seeing any updates or that's not normal and, and action should be taken. And this XCF, it goes not just within systems in a sysplex, which are physically in the same box, but it also extends to systems that are connected, you know, to physical systems, correct? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, um, so we try and make it, those ZUS images, you know, some, many customers, the ones we really like have gotten, <laughs> <laughs> have gotten multiple CACs and for availability reasons, they would want to have those different ZOS images running across different CACs so that if you had a CAC failure, they still got pieces of their, you know, components, systems in their sysplex still running to be able to provide those business services. So availability is really a, a, a big thing. So, um, so the applications really don't need to know because of the XCF services that their peer is running on the same box or on a, on a different box because when they say send a message, XCF figures out where that, that, that other peer member, we call it members of a group, where that peer member lives and we'll get the signal over to them. So the application really doesn't have to maintain any kind of topology awareness. They just you know initialize the application, they come in, they join their XCF services and then they're good to go. So there's no, at least from that perspective, there's no configuration part of the customers. Um, if you add another system in the sysplex and bring up another instance of your application, they can join and they can basically seamlessly become part of this existing group of members that are providing services. So you could you got some ability to really dynamically and easily grow and shrink the level of capacity that's, a, that's a being applied to your application. And the application complexity for the programmer stays the same whether it's running on two systems on the same box or eight spread out across a data center. Right. The the complexity really is from going from one to two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the first million is the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> right. So once you've once you've solved the the two problem, the adding and incrementally adding another one is is really no work at all really. So let's talk about that a little bit, about making an application <clears throat> sysplex aware. Can you talk a little bit about what's involved in that? Well, to, to, uh, there's things you want to do in a sysplex with your application. I mean, since, you, since the, the sysplex is being built for reliability and resilience and availability, it generally means, for example, if your application invokes some sort of, of you know, uses some sort of service, and they get back like a, a failing return code that might say, you know, I can't do it right now or I seem to be down. You know, some, you don't want to be in the boat where, you, where you're thinking like a single system sort of boat where you would then say, oh, my goodness, the system must be down. We throw up our hands. There's nothing we can do. Instead, what you really want to do is probably think about redriving that request because someone has probably done some recovery and, and some work down below you and that's, that request can now be served. So don't just you know immediately fail. There's other things you can do, which we often see, is where you create affinities. Where, for example, you might have um, an application that says, well, I can run on system one. And if I'm not on system one, then I can't do anything. Well, that sort of 
destroys what we're trying to achieve with availability in a sysplex because you, if, you, if a system dies, you want that application to run someplace else. Right. You know, there's, there's very many models, lots of different models of how you accomplish that. You know, what I'm sort of describing there might be something goes down and now we want to bring it up and get it going on someplace else. That's a, sort of a failover model. Yeah, you want at least two affinities or beyond. Well, I wouldn't. I don't want any affinities. <laughs> I was trying to make a dumb joke there. Really. <laughs> <laughs> two yeah. affinities yeah, and beyond. beyond. Yes, thank yes. you. Thank you. <laughs> it's at least two affinities. Yes. <laughs> um, with a with a cisplex, though, we're really thinking of. <laughs> we're really thinking of those multiple instances of your application. Any one of those being able to take on work. So things like you know WLM and right. and things like called Sysplex Router, where you can bring in work that's coming in via the network. You can route it to an instance of the application that seems to be running. So if one fails, you know maybe there's some in-flight transactions or something there that 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 go down or fail or have to be redriven or something like that. But other work can be routed to the other instances that are continuing to run. So the fact that you know instance one has failed. We don't have a big delay in getting some other instance up and running to process that work because it's already there. So that's why it's important to go from one to two because you really want to be able to have multiple instances of your application ideally running in the sysplex at the same time so that any one of them, either one of them, can provide services, those end user services, which is really what your business is all about. So, so what you said is really important and I think it's important to underline it because We've been talking about this as a way of clustering, right? And when, when a lot of people in the distributor cloud world think about clustering, what they're thinking about is a bunch of different machines all retaining their own identity, attacking a problem. With a load balancer up front. Right. And, and what you just described is something fundamentally different, which is a set of machines acting as one machine. So if... You fail to do something. I'm right there doing it um, in your stead as opposed to, oh, I have to redrive this or I have to kind of start over. The fact that um, the members of this group share the actual work as a single personality, if you will, um, is the fundamental difference of the mainframe over, over the distributed world. Yeah. I mean, I think the um, the certainly from a from a networking perspective, you're really thinking of work coming into the sysplex, and it doesn't really matter that it's got you know it could be one system, but ideally be two or more systems. So it's just the network is coming in and attaching to the sysplex, and then the work can run in any particular machine that's there. Um, I think for the for the sysplex model, um, I, ideally, and you know customers don't always do it the ideal way, but ideally. <laughs> You know, every system in the sysplex has an instance of your application running on it. Every instance of the sysplex has the ability to get to the data that's needed to, to process that or to whatever, you know, hardware requirements or specialty cards or whatever. Every system, effectively, you'd like to have them all cloned. They all look the same so that no matter, you know, if anyone fails, there's someone there who has all the resources that would be needed to process that work. Um, you don't have to reconfigure your network. You don't need to reconfigure your set of machines. You don't need to go back and, and you know, you know, depending on how you've done things, you don't have to go back and reconfigure your, your DASD environments or establish connections to get to the databases and stuff like that because every machine in the sysplex, every instance of your application has the ability to 
do all do do anything it's asked. You you mentioned the XCF is an important part of the coupling facility. No, that's see, that's that's <laughs> the his, historically when XCF the component first came out, it was thought of as being providing services to sort of connect systems. But that was really done from an, from an application perspective. Later on, we made the very confusing um, thing of creating a coupling facility, which is actually you know a piece of hardware and LPAR running a specialized operating system that effectively creates um, external shared memory. Um, and it's shaped like a like a triangle. Uh, <laughs> Always. Yes. Yeah, someone in the first presentation of a coupling facility drew it as a triangle and it's been that way ever since. Yes. You mean the hardware isn't a triangle? <laughs> Actually, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just mysteriously living inside your, your, your little keck there. <laughs> um, but so I said shared memory, but it's, it's actually uh, kind of unique in, in the sense that, um, you know, you don't go out and like, you know, malloc or get get main uh, storage there what you do is you create a an object a what's called a structure out in the coupling facility and that structure um, provides a, a a set of programming interfaces to allow you to manipulate the the um, objects that are in there for example if you take you can create a, a list structure which conceptually is just outside there in the coupling facility I created this this array of list headers and on those list headers, I can put entries. And so the coupling facility then provides services to create entries, delete entries, you know, put them on a particular list, move them between lists. You can have um, sorting with keys and sub keys. And so basically anything you might like to do like in storage if you're writing an application that needs to exploit some sort of, uh, you know, array or list or a queue or something like that, you can put that out in the coupling facility. And what that means is since the coupling facility is typically connected to every system in the sysplex, when, you know, instance A is putting typically maybe using a list entry as a, representing a piece of work, he might put that out in a, in a list out of the coupling facility. And then whichever instance of your application running in the sysplex is available to do work can just go out and pull that, that work item off that list. So it doesn't really matter where it gets processed because the next guy in line who's got capacity can do that. That's a very typical model. And that's list structure is one of them. Cache structure is, is another where you can basically be sharing data uh, with integrity, which is the important at, well, there's two things that are important. It's sharing the data with integrity, which means if I make an update, the other instances of the application are aware of that and you know they're not using down-level data or whatnot. Uh, and the other thing that's important about that is it's high performance. So you're doing high performance data sharing with integrity, which is um, difficult to do, but a coupling facility actually makes that that quite easy, well, well, and it's easier. Im <laughs> it's, Im <laughs> it's important that you say it that way because we've been talking about th th this stuff as a way for being available and, and, um, and resilient, but um, longtime listeners, uh, uh, Randy and Rich, have been using the coupling facility to do some very high performance things, um, a lot of the the support that they've been trying um, to an, engender for their distributed um, users is around the performant aspects of coupling that allow them to do things that they literally can't do on any other platform. 
Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the, the other final structure, well, the other structure you can get is a, is a lock structure. And that enables you to provide um, high-performance serialization of your data. Um, <clears throat> in the distributed world, I, I, I believe they're typically having to use communication protocols in order to accomplish that. So you might have to have some particular system who's managing the data. So everyone who might want to make an update to the data might have to send a request to say, can I serialize this? Can I get read access and stuff like that? Well, if that particular system's down, then you've got to you know, find somebody else to manage all the data. With the coupling facility, there's a lock table out there and there's basically you know, interfaces that allow you to say, you know, get a lock, release a lock, you know, share a lock. You can get shared locks, exclusive locks. And when you go out there and do a lock request, you're just having a single point of communication out into the coupling facility. You don't have to coordinate among, you know, the 17 different instances that might be out there. So that's a that's a big savings. But these days on the on the latest, you know, processors and stuff like that, a lock request going from a ZOS image to a, a local coupling facility, you know, something that's within the data center. I mean, you can have your sysplex spread across kilometers, but you know, things slow down. <laughs> but if but if it's within yeah, the data center, being what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's if it's right there in the data center, you know you're you're typically looking at the ability of an application instance running in a ZOS image, being able to say you know obtain a lock within four or five microseconds. So basically, that kind of performance means you're not really getting any kinds of of delays due to having to do serialization stuff like that. I can come in and get my lock, do my thing, release my lock very quickly. Now. If someone already holds the lock, then you know, now you've got contention. That has to be resolved. That's going to take a little bit more time. But in in general, you're coming in, you're locking and doing your data update or whatever you need to do, presumably putting that out in a cache structure so everybody else can see the update and then you know releasing your lock kind of a thing. But that that coupling facility for locking is is typically the most critical thing we've got because it it is high performance and it really needs to be high performance because in these high transaction systems, you know, you, tip, you, you might be looking at tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of transactions a second, each one of them might need one or more locks in order to do its job. So that really has to be high performance if you're going to get, you know, millisecond, sub-millisecond kinds of uh, transaction times. Let's talk about like the, the, the physical links that let this happen between physical systems. What kind of medium is that? Is it just straight fiber or what, what does it look like these days? So um, <clears throat> there's, there's, a couple different kinds of connections you might be asking about. So the base XCF services, in order to be able to do uh, communication between systems in a sysplex, you can do that either through um, a list structure in a coupling facility, mm -hmm. okay, or you can do that through channel-to-channel uh, -channel communication devices, uh, which is the old original technology, but it's still supported. Um, so we, we don't say old. Oh, okay. Uh, ancient? You say classic. Uh, oh, classic. Leg legendary. Legendary. <laughs> legendary. There you go. <laughs> um, but like most things in the mainframe, it's still supported That's from right. day one. You can still do that. And there are customers that still, that still have that stuff. Most of them are sort of going, if they have a uh, parallel sysplex, that's one that has a coupling, a coupling facility box, not... Everyone's I was got... going to ask about the distinction there, but yeah, go, go yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, you can have a sysplex that just has sort of XCF there to provide the, the, the communication and the group membership kind of stuff, but the power of sysplex and the real ability to get you know, high performance and really high levels of availability comes when you get a coupling facility to do that 
And that's sharing. when it becomes a parallel sysplex? Yes. If it has a coupling facility, then we call it a parallel sysplex. Okay. Because you're really thinking there about data sharing and, and, and that kind of stuff. And that if you sort of draw your triangle in the middle of all the systems that are there, um, he's sort of there in the middle so that everyone has access to the, to the, to the data and stuff like that. And I've lost my train of thought because oh, <laughs> you're asking about links. Yep. Um, so that coupling facility um, in many cases is a – it's its own standalone keck, if you will. Uh, it'd be a, a keck whose LPAR images are doing nothing but running coupling facility images. So you could have on that box, you could have you know, 5, 10, 12 different coupling facilities. They might be in different sysplexes and, and that sort of thing. You could have – Two of those boxes. Another well-loved customer we <laughs> um, would have uh, two of those. But since it's a separate box and your ZOS images are running on a different box, they need to be able to communicate so that when I want to send down that, that lock request and get my, my four or five microseconds and get my lock request, it's got to go down some kind of a link. Cleverly, those are called coupling facility links. <laughs> Thank God. <Okay. laughs> now – over the years, there have been, um, you know, a variety of technologies for what those links actually are. Um, and generally, as you're upgrading the, the processors and the speeds of the processors, you've got to have, you know, not just the ZOS processors, but the coupling facility processors and then the links that communicate between them. They've got to work together well. I mean, if you have a a, a ZOS image that can run very fast, say, and produce lots and lots of transactions, but you've got a coupling facility that's slow, he may not be able to keep up. So that would impact your ability to do the transactions. If you've got links that can't transmit those requests down to the coupling facility at the speed that's needed to keep up, you'll have problems, um, you know, delays and things taking longer than you'd really like. You won't be able to get as much throughput or get your transactions down. Um, I'm a software guy, so you know, it's just, it's just like, I mean, and and really, to even to ZOS um, at a fundamental level, those technology changes don't really matter to us. Right. There's an instruction we invoke that says send this request down to the facility. You know, we've done a bunch of management to make sure that you know the links are online, whatever they may be, um, that they're connected, they're connected to where we think they ought to be connected, and they go where we want to go, and you know, we know where they go, and things like that. So at some level, I don't really care what they're made out of. <laughs> right. Um, Very magic. <laughs> um, which is a nice abstraction. Um, you know, they, the, the, as we go on and, and do those things with newer and newer technologies, you know, we're not having to go off and, and rewrite lots of code to take advantage of those links. There's, a, you know, an architecture that says here's what this command does and here's how the links operate. And so it's just maintained. So really – to ZOS, it doesn't really matter other than we know that it has to sort of keep up speed-wise and, and throughput-wise and stuff like that. And, and architecturally, it it would make sense for those to be on like a separate box and say that this is our CF keck over here? Or um, well, <clears throat> so you can you – can, since I indicated that the, <clears throat> that the CF is really just an LPAR right. running its own specialized operating system, if you will. That could be an LPAR running on the same keck as a as a ZOS image. So really what your your trade-offs there are, you know, a separate keck doing nothing but coupling facilities, um, you know, is probably more expensive because there's a hardware cost there. You got, you know, 
racks and things that got to be built in. Whereas if I've already got a ZOS image, or it could be running Linux or whatever you else want to put in those LPARs, you could put a coupling facility LPAR there. Mm -hmm. That has advantages in that you don't need a separate box, perhaps. What does become a concern when you do that is what are my availability characteristics? What's my resilience? So let's take a customer that might have two CACs, and he might choose to put a coupling facility on one of those CACs, and his sysplex is spanning both of those CACs. Right. So they've got other operating systems running on those CACs as well. Yeah. And our particular sysplex wouldn't care. Yep. I mean, there could be Linux images and all kinds of things. Um, but the if we think about just my sysplex, which might have two systems on one CAC, two systems on another CAC, and then the coupling facility on one of those CACs with those same two systems, what you have to think about is what happens because sysplex, we think about availability. If you're going to think about availability, you got to think about what's going to fail. And if it fails, how am I going to recover? So, you know, if I have my one CAC that has those two systems but no coupling facility fails, well, we've set our sysplex up right. We've got these other two images over there. They'll just pick up all the work. They still got the coupling facility <laughs> so they can do whatever they want to do. If instead the, the other CAC that has the coupling facility and two images fails, so the other CAC survives with its two images but the coupling facility is gone. Now we've probably got a much bigger recovery effort because whatever data was live that we were all sharing in that coupling facility probably has to be recovered somehow. So you might need to reconstruct data and all sorts of things. Um, so it's really architecturally, you can sort of build these things any way you like, but you're really thinking in the back of your mind, cost, of course, but really from an availability perspective, how am I going to recover if I have failures? So a standalone coupling facility, of which you're typically going to have two for availability, right. you sort of get rid of those complications of having both a coupling facility and your ZOS images fail at the same time. Because if I have any one CAC fails, I've still got my coupling facility and presumably the other images someplace else. If a, if a coupling facility fails... I've got my other coupling facility that, that I can have to continue doing processing and those kinds of things. So it's, it's really about the failure characteristics when you're thinking about architecting your, your sysplex. When you have two different coupling facilities, how do they stay in sync? It sounds like we're talking about a lot of memory work, right? Well, um, I think where you're heading is <clears throat> something like duplexing. So as you, as you might imagine, um, when I was describing my, my – two different KECs having two different coupling facilities, if I have a KEC failure of, and I lose one of those coupling facilities, well, if I've built things so that I only have data in the one coupling facility, okay, so all my ZOS images survive, I've got a coupling facility that I can use, but it doesn't have any of the data that was in the failing one. Right. So you really have two ways of dealing with that. One way would be, okay, that guy went down, that my simplex, my single copy of my live data out of the coupling facility is gone. But since that was an external CF, all my ZOS images on their KECs have survived. They can probably reconstruct the data because typically your applications know what they had out there. They know it was in the cache. They know what locks they held. They can go out and do some sort of recovery for that. And that's sort of, um, you know, it's going to take a little bit, but they could reconstruct the data in another CF and then move on. Okay. So you'll have a little blip to get that data reconstructed. So as an application designer, as an architect for my sysplex, you know, I have to decide whether, you know, my business objectives, my goals for my business services 
allow me to have this period where I can survive for however long it takes. And that's probably something you'd want to test and see and, and say, can I meet my goals with providing business services with an outage of, I don't know, five seconds, 10 seconds, four hours? How long does it take to recover the data? Mm -hmm. Again, that may depend on what the application does. Do they have to go out and, you know, if you're like a DB2, do you have to go out and maybe, you know, rerun things from logs or do you have in-store, you know, it, that's one aspect. So you're going to have a little bit of a blip and can you survive that as, with meeting your business services? The other way to do it is to actually duplex the data. So I've got, you know, two instances of my structures running in two different coupling facilities in, you know, isolated from each other so that they're in two completely different CACs. So if one of them fails... If that structure is duplexed, if the data in the structure is duplexed, then that means that when I lose the one coupling facility, you know, we just have to do a little bit of coordination to say, oh, we lost both, so now we just need to go over and continue using with the, with the surviving guy. Yeah, so you have a much quicker failover capacity, which means I might be able to then meet my business service objectives because you know I'm basically failing over instantly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so all this, you know, boils down to, you know, what kind of availability do I need for my business services? And I need to go build a sysplex, configure it so that I can survive the various failures that might occur. And then I need to make sure that I have my applications, you know, taking advantage of that environment so that I can deliver those business services with whatever objectives you have in terms of, you know, availability and response time and, and those kinds of things, capacity, all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like uh, putting t together a sysplex or designing the sysplex for your business is not a simple, you know, I, I set this up, you know, this afternoon because... Well, in 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 some ways, yes and no. Um, when I go out and visit visit customers, you see some where the you know the the system programmer team and the people that are in charge of the infrastructure, they really get Sysplex, and they they know how to do that, and they go they go basically build an environment where you could you could achieve high levels of availability. Then the question is, are the the applications that they've that got running in there taking advantage of that environment? Okay. Um, in some cases, you do have the what you really, and I think more ideally, you would have the the top to bottom, the entire stack kind of picture of an architect that's coming in, understands what a sysplex can do for you, understands how to have applications take advantage of that environment. So you're building it from the get-go all the way out from the end user all the way down into the sysplex. You're building it there. Um, that allows you, I think, to probably achieve um, a more ideal results, both in terms of, of expenditures and what you what you can achieve because you've intentionally gone about trying to make sure that, that that meets your needs, whereas the other one where like the application folks are not talking to the infrastructure people, it's like you can spend a lot of money with a Sysplex to build a beautiful infrastructure that does you no good because all your applications can only run on system one. Right. Yeah, we have parallel Sysplex. Everything's perfect. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Right. So it, it you really do want to have that the communication between the people and 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 that kind of talking because it it I mean it, the other thing we talk about in Sysplex in terms of so I've been sort of talking about um, high availability in terms of, of surviving failures and outages and those kinds of things. The other thing is like planned maintenance, you know, where we start talking about you know, continuous availability, where I want to bring in 
you know, I want to upgrade an application or I want to bring in a new instance of ZOS, you know, run, you know, upgrade the 2.4 from 2.2 or something like that. Um, we sort of tend to describe that in terms of what we call a rolling IPL. So that if I've, I've got, you know, N systems in my Sysplex, I can re-IPL one of those N images to run a new different version of the operating system. Well, the, the, I got to take an image down to do that, but the survivors continue to do the work. So now I've got a new level that's running a higher level of the operating system. And then I just do that one by one going around the Sysplex and boom, now I have everybody in the Sysplex running at that level. At which point now you might be able to turn on some new functions that everybody can use at that level. Um, but nowhere did I have all of the systems in the Sysplex down at the same time. I mean, that's what we think of when we talk about putting on maintenance or new things in a Sysplex. If your applications aren't designed to do that sort of thing, um, you know, I want to roll out a new instance of my application, that generally means you want to have the old and new running together in the Sysplex at the same time because if I can't do that, then I've got to take down the entire application, which means now I've got a window where none of the business services are being provided. That's well, just not what we think about when we do Sysplex. <laughs> it's like we want them always available. Right. So you've really got to have them up, you know, new and old be able to run together. Which is an application thing, right? Right. And when you're talking about the you know the, the disaster recovery kind of stuff, like just hearing about the amount of planning and and thought that goes into um, deciding or providing abilities to recover for something that might happen once every fifteen years or something like that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, it kind of gives a, a little hint into just how important this type of thing is, where you know a lot of services we're used to today are just like. Yeah, the service is down for five minutes. Try again later. <laughs> so it's it's this is a, this has been an amazing peek into a, you know just how serious this aspect of of, of mainframe is. Yeah, and and that's kind of important because I think we're beyond the bottom of the hour here, and uh, I I think it's pretty much time to wrap up. So I want to uh, thank you, Mark, for coming in and and talking to us about this. It's been at least for me very very educational. Hey, me me too. <laughs> You're Thank welcome. you. Sure. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.